necessarily going to church every day and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I still pray and um, you know, still hold that close to my heart or whatever. There, there are a lot of Christians who are like, no, you got to go to church. you got to go to church every Sunday or you got to fellowship and this and that and the other. And, um, but, but I've noticed in a lot of folks, like we were just talking earlier, that a lot of folks, a lot of millennials are not you know, going to church right. on the regular. So. And I wondered about that. Um, I mean, we grew up in an era where the church was taking a more active role. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, definitely for me, with civil rights. But even that next thing, as you got into the radio, well, not even Reagan, Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Christianity sort of freed itself up a little bit. You could make that more direct connection to your faith, mm-hmm. and um, people started to kind of interpret on their own. But I, I feel like, and you were saying, you know, that there are all those folks that came along who kind of reshaped it. At least it, it, its political face became a little more formalized and, mm-hmm. and very much in the right, towards the right wing. Yeah, the religious right. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if there are, I find myself, as we see the problems that are going around, it's mm-hmm. like homelessness is yeah. the obvious one to me. Mm-hmm. and. How do we not see ourselves as a people that don't allow that? If we saw ourselves as that's just wrong and that's bad, we're going to do something about it. Right. And I can't help but look at churches and go, well, the churches are probably, I hope they're serving their parishioners, their, you know, mm-hmm. their congregation. Yeah. But is that congregation connecting to the community in a meaningful way? And are, you know, are, because that, I would love to, I know that there are churches that go out and do, you know, various ministries and do things. Right. Where they, yeah. They go to help certain people, mm-hmm. but it just—it just seems to me like when you look around and you see the problems, and you don't see the church as part of the solution, mm-hmm. does it make it hard to, to hold on to that connection? Yeah, yeah, and it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a libertarian, and we were talking about. I guess uh, he—he's very anti. Um, he watches his taxes. He's like, I don't know why we pay taxes to help the poor and all of that stuff and public assistance and. HUD and, and housing authorities, whatever, the church will take care of that. And I was like, really? You just, you're just going to put it on the church? You're just going to put it on charity? I mean, that's what taxes are paid for. But I understand what you're saying as far as the church. I think um, like the church, like I went to a church, um, Metropolitan Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and it's a very famous church. And it actually filed for bankruptcy. I think it's chapter uh, 11. Uh, it basically um, 
it ran out of, I think it owed the bank a great deal of money. Sure. And um, it's, it's still around, but it doesn't have the edifice anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's really a sad uh, story, yeah, because uh, they had, I don't know the whole details of it, so I don't want to say anything that's wrong. But it used to take up a city block. It, it reminds me so much of Glide, mm-hmm. like Glide Church right, right. now. Um, and, you know, Glide does fantastic work, but it shouldn't just be all on Glide. Right. And also, I read today earlier this week that uh, millennials really just aren't going to church anymore. And so the, that, that um, the need of community mm-hmm. um, is sort of gone. Um, there are people who do do services and they do do charity work through mm-hmm. the churches. But obviously, it's... You know, there's, there's a great deal of homelessness. Right. There's a great deal of uh, poverty. And especially now, I think that um, there's so many individuals who are rendered obsolete because of technology and uh, they can't do the same type of work they did 20 years ago. Right. And so, you know, uh, services are, I mean, um, these services, I'm talking about the, um, like, um, the services that churches do um, right. to help people. Charity work. Charity work and all that stuff. They're just overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and I, I, I don't want to put it on them like they should be doing it. What I mean more is, when, one of my favorite Christians ever, mm-hmm. um, I was in the Army, and I turned out my sergeant, um, was a Christian. I, at one point, got in the Army Corps, so mm-hmm. my job for six months was singing, and that was fantastic. And the sergeant in charge was a Christian, very, very devout, mm-hmm. wonderful man. I didn't even know it for maybe weeks mm-hmm. before I finally said something at one point and went, hmm? mm-hmm. You know, my radar was kind of up for, oh, wait a minute, I, I having done my early years in church, you yeah. hear people talk a certain way, you start to know. Yeah. And I realized that he was very careful about it, how he talked, and he talked around church. Interesting. So once I asked directly, yeah. he proudly proclaimed that he was a Christian, and that he was really proud of his church and yeah. was doing a lot through it. And then I started watching him after that, and I was fascinated with how well this man was living his belief. Exactly. That's a great, great point. And I really do believe in that. And I understand why he's very cautious about that. I mean, I work at a job. I, I work for the district attorney's office in San Francisco. And you have people from all sorts of backgrounds. You have to be very careful. As a matter of fact, there are... Um, Seminars. I mean, they, they tell you, you can't fellowship, you cannot express your, deliberately express your religious beliefs. You know, you can't pass out pamphlets and all of that sort of stuff. And people get, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are gay and lesbian and come from different walks. And, and you know, they're dear, dear friends to me. And I never want them to, I never want them to think that because I'm a Christian I'm one of those religious right Christians. You're going straight to hell. I don't believe that at all. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's a, um, I think it's the book of uh, Hebrews where it talks about the the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, I don't know the the exact verse, but at the end it says, he judges the thoughts and conditions of the heart. Mm -hmm. Where is your heart? Mm -hmm. You know, where, you know, if you, whoever you love or whatever you do, if you do it, you know, with, with a good heart, then I think I can't I can't find any fault in you. Mm-hmm. And whatever your relationship is with God, even if you don't have a relationship with God, that's between that's on you. I mean, that's right. between you and God, and it's not my job right. to judge. 
Well, that's, and that, like I said, once I became aware of it, mm-hmm. I started noticing how he, how he carried himself, how mm-hmm. he lived his faith. Mm-hmm. And I became very curious just because I felt like I didn't hear him saying anything that wasn't reflected in his life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this has got to be amazing. Now, I was at a time in my life where I wanted nothing to do with church. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wasn't going to go visit, but I became very curious. I was really fascinated with this, and I thought, that it, it connects to, because um, I did eventually, when I got to the Bay Area, actually when I got to Oakland, mm-hmm. um, somebody introduced me to, I think they changed their name now, but they were the Church um, mm-hmm. church of Religious Science. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I hear that they changed the name of the church. Fantastic church and wonderful, a wonderful balance of we've got these teachings, we've got this faith, and we've got to find ways to live, mm-hmm. you know, our faith. And each of us has to find it. So you can't judge somebody else because you feel like you're doing everything right. Right. That other person is doing what they can do. And I remember at one point there was a woman there who I swear she looked like she might have been homeless at some point. I'm pretty sure she would testify that she had been drug addict one mm-hmm. point on the streets. Yeah. Um, and she was she was a fierce singer and um, wow, just powerful. When she got up there, mm-hmm. it wasn't. I mean, there was power in yeah. what she. You know, it was um, it was so clearly her heart. Yeah. So clearly her belief. Yeah. And it made you. It made it easy for you to just accept where you're at mm-hmm. and see somebody showing you mm-hmm. that you can keep striving, that you can keep reaching for it. Yeah. And that's that's more what I'm talking about when I when I look at the situation or because I know that the right wing talks about you know not having government take care of everything. I just think as a society we want to live in a society where there is that safety net, there where people are taken care of, where we don't let people fall through. Right. And when I look at institutions like churches, mm-hmm. I wonder how they are approaching that. Are they just staying in their comfort zone? Mm-hmm. It's not their job any more than it's any of our jobs yeah. to go out and try to help people. But are they doing that, or are they sitting smugly yeah. in their clean little house? I'm sure there's some there are, and... It took me, of course, the metropolitan situation. I guess there was a business behind the church. You know, you have some churches. I remember um, my dad was, uh, he had a gospel group, our rendition. Matter of fact, the, the dad still has his uh, gospel group, our rendition. And I used to sing with him. Wonderful memories in the early 80s when I was a pre-teenager. Uh, when I could have been running around in the streets, instead I'm singing, you know, gospel with uh, Dad and the group. And it was a wonderful experience. But we went through all, to all of these different churches who have different philosophies. Right. They, and I think all of them were Baptists, but they had their own take on how they do certain things. One was, there was a five-year-old preacher. In the name of God, da, 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 da. And, <laughs> and the, the churches went wild. And I was like, okay, wait a minute, all right. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can agree with, you know, five-year-old, but, you know, they were excited about him. And one was, went to another church, I think, in Baltimore, where one guy was um, not, the, the preacher was pointing out people who had gold and jewelry on. And, and so, and I, and I think that's what turns a lot of people off. It's not so much religion or God or their faith. 
but it's the institution they're in. And some institutions do a very, very good job of keeping the community, keeping the fellowship, and understanding what people's talents are. Right. Let's say you can't give, you know, to, in, uh, you can't give right. tithes and offerings, right. but you, you have a, a need to help. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, um, the church will identify that, and you can fellowship or help. They can identify your talents, and that's one right. of the great things in the church that I went to when, when I was a kid, Metropolitan, mm-hmm. finding those talents. So some churches do that really, really well. Yeah. Unfortunately, some churches really don't, right. um, either because they're running out of money or they're so caught up in, let's say, the music or the power. Right, you know, they, they have, they have whatever it is right. that they do. Yeah. Um, no, my folks, my, my father and my stepmother, mm-hmm. um, kind of run a church. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what their claim is exactly on it, but um, yeah. they're definitely part of the folks that are running that church. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because she's a daughter of a preacher. So it's an important part of her life. It's always been an important part of her life. Mm-hmm. And I went, last time I was down, not last time, but I went, maybe a couple of years ago, I went mm-hmm. and visited the church when I was there. And you know, it's a quiet little church, mm-hmm. and they're doing what they can do. Yeah. Is it uh, like a storefront church? Like a it wasn't a storefront. It actually had its own little lot. Oh, nice. Which, yeah, but it was surprising because mm-hmm. it wasn't that far from their house, mm-hmm. but it's over off of a little suburban neighborhood. Yeah. And suddenly you come around the bend, and mm-hmm. there's this parking lot, and there's this little building, and that's where they have church. Nice. And it allows them, you know, same, going back to the thing I was saying, that they can live their lives in a way, and they found a church that fits with that. And they are reaching out, and they are trying to help this little tiny church, but they're doing what they can. Yeah. And I'm, I think it gets to a bigger issue with the millennials, you were saying. Yeah. Um, there's not, we're getting into this very isolated. I mean, it's it's this track that America has been on, and that, you know, com, com, commercialism and consumerism has pushed us towards the individual, the individual package. Yeah, me, you know, it's the me generation and everyone, and that's that's another thing I know we're, we're, we'll eventually get to a theater. Um, I want to talk about, because I've been thinking about Rhinoceros by Eugene Ionesco, I think there's a lot of parallels between what's happening today and what happened in his time. Um, Ionesco was a Romanian who wrote um, Rhinoceros and, and, and a lot of other plays, um, but getting back to the millennials and the me generation, Everyone is focused on brands. Like, I got focused on my brand and how I sell myself. I'm not just the celebrities, not like the Kardashians and Kanye West and and what have you. But even just an individual who's got a a YouTube thing or um, everyone is focused on, well, how do I market myself? And and I suppose bettering yourself um, in this digital age is fine. But I think it's gone to the extreme where everyone is so focused on me, 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 me. Very much Ayn Rand-like, I think. Well, yeah. That's, and church, how does church fit into that? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if church is, and actually I do. I have a friend here in town who's, um, who's a pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the big question to take to her, how do you reach those people? And, I, and it also connects to theater. Mm-hmm. How... How do we compete with the palette yeah. that is available to you on any device? <coughs> yeah. um, and I think there are ways we can. And I, yeah. I, but I think it's good for us to be mindful of that yeah. and to play to our strengths. I you, wonder how the church, mm-hmm. that's, I don't have an answer for this, but I wonder how the church can do that as well. Yeah. 
to say this is something that we've got to offer you mm-hmm. that is a, if not necessary, a useful, mm-hmm. helpful component of life as a social animal. Exactly. You talked about this uh, last week on um, episode one where the community of theater, where theater doesn't focus on the community. They just focus on, oh, let's do this hot play right now. Mm-hmm. And then you go to TBA or the generals and pick up a bunch of actors, but you don't focus on their talent. Right. Or you don't, yeah, I guess you try to shoehorn them into this concept play that you have. Right. But you had the concept before you picked up the people at the end. Yeah, exactly. So the loss of community, I mean, I really do think the theater is a lot like church, where yeah. you need the volunteerism, you need, mm-hmm. th- there is a spiritualism to uh, theater, especially good theater, because, you know, um, if this goes back to Stanislavski mm-hmm. in the turn of the century, where his actors weren't just actors, but they were a community, they married um, within, you know, the, the, the group, they were truly a communal bond. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they focused on techniques like communion. Like, uh, we want things to be as real mm-hmm. on stage as absolutely possible. And you can't have that unless you have a true, authentic connection mm-hmm. with your the person you're working with. Yeah, it's... There's something to that human contact and mm-hmm. human relationship. Mm-hmm. And so trying to find ways, theater tries to find ways to bring that to life yeah. uh, on stage. Church... Like, I love, I, I went to um, East Bay, East mm-hmm. Bay um, Church of Religious Science. I went there for off and on for two or three years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at first went there with the very individual mindset. I'm here about me. I've got my history. I'm trying to see if I can find a spiritual connection mm-hmm. um, that feels more real to me than what I grew up with, than, yeah. than what I've seen around. Mm-hmm. And... After a while, people started recognizing me. Mm-hmm. And I started, you know, coming more regularly. Okay. So that helped. Yeah. But even so, just after a while, people started recognizing me. I started recognizing people, mm-hmm. and I realized that means I have a relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. I don't have to like them. Yeah. I don't have to be friends with them or any of that. Mm-hmm. But they're there basically for the same reason I'm there. We are sharing this moment. Yeah. And... Yeah, Mr. Who does come every Sunday and sits up front and has his fancy suits and all that stuff. Right. It's on some level making having the same struggle I'm having. And what was wonderful was to feel the sense of Ben is welcoming me to the best of his ability. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had to have that fit, that sense too. I yeah. had to start opening myself up to these people. Right. I didn't have to talk to them or connect to them necessarily, but mm-hmm. I did have to recognize that we were all in this together. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a meaningful thing. Yeah. That is what I feel lacks in the theater scene. And it may be larger than here, but I know that you're in your theater. Sure. And I would love to feel like there's, you know, that it's not a bunch of people who are looking for their shot at New York or looking for their shot at L.A. Exactly. But who are here today, now, mm-hmm. doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. They may have that in their vision, but they need to recognize. <laughs> I say it to my acting classes when I started new acting classes. Mm-hmm. I would say... At some point, I would say, then look around. Yeah. Because these people that you're with, mm-hmm. they um, they might, one of these people might end up on TV. One mm-hmm. of these people might end up on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, you might be sitting next to, and then I'll name, you know, some current names that mm-hmm. I've made. 
and say, these might be people that end up like those people. Mm-hmm. You know, you think Tom Cruise is a good actor? You think Jamie Foxx is a good actor? Well, this might be, you know, you might be looking at that. You know? yeah. And I'm not even keeping up with the current ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say, this the people, and what's important, I know it as a director, mm-hmm. I've got to work with a talent like that. Right. So if you're Mr. Gladhander, <laughs> and especially with the lady, yeah. and I can use that in your character, mm-hmm. I'm totally going to use that in your character. Sure, typecast away. Well, I'm not so much typecast, but, but to take that yeah. element of you and put it in the role. It's, it's, the, it's that natural part of that person, and you yeah. identify it, and yeah. you want to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And to let that come out and to let that be a part of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Death of the Salesman. Um, we had a young actress, um, Italian, mm-hmm. and Marguerite mm-hmm. is her name, and she's got this thick accent. That might be me. That's okay. We can keep going. Okay. Um, she's got a thick accent. Mm-hmm. She's got her own energy on what she brought to the world, so it was funny to talk to audience members later. Yeah. And they thought these were all choices that she made. Yeah. And it's like, well, on some level, they are in the sense that that's her being her. Mm-hmm. And the show worked around that in such a way so that it felt like that was an intentional thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, but it wasn't. That's the difference I'm trying to make from what you said is, as a director, it's not that I'm going to say, oh, those qualities that you have, yeah. I'm going to put those in your character. It's more that in the process, mm-hmm. I'm going to notice where your qualities might help tell the story better or might make a tighter fit with what we're putting up. Yeah. And to let that happen, mm-hmm. enjoy it, be humble about it. Yeah. I, I have to, at that moment, I'm like, yay me for recognizing that, mm-hmm. but what's actually happening is not my doing. Those people are doing it. Those actors are doing right. it. But you need and to I'm disappointed. <clears throat> right. But you also need an actor or a, hopefully a, a bunch of actors who are in tune to themselves. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Um, because you have a lot of, especially young actors, who, let's say they got by with a shtick. Sure. And um, that's my fault. <laughs> they, they, um, they get by with a shtick. And let's say it worked, getting back to, um, to church, you know, that's how I got involved in the theater. Because, uh, you know, when I was a kid... I would do these Bible verses in front of the congregation and, and all of that stuff. And as a kid, you identify, oh, people like this about me. Okay, that's going to be part of my character. This will work. And it can become, and stick is actually a bad word for it, but it's a thing that you use, a mannerism. And you can stick with it, but it, a lot of times it keeps you, it, you know, you talked about an actor that you had worked with who did the TVA Generals and did oh, such right. a fantastic job right. and then went back to whatever mannerisms oh, she had. Yeah. Right, exactly. And sometimes your stick or your mannerisms or whatever you do have done to get by holds you back from you knowing who you, what you can really, really do. Mm-hmm. The, that inside of you. Because all you're doing is putting on that template of... The thing. No, see, but that's where that's where that good director, that savvy director, mm-hmm. sees that and pushes you where they can push you, mm-hmm. so that you're not just in your comfort zone, mm-hmm. but gives you free reign in those places that it's going to help the story. Right. And it doesn't necessarily make you a better actor, 
it does, if those places where you're being pushed allow you to flex a little bit and stretch a little bit, mm-hmm. but it does allow for you to bring the best that you've got to the show mm-hmm. and for the production, therefore, to benefit from whoever you are. Because that's the thing. We're always going to be, I'm always going to have some weaknesses. I'm always going to have some strengths. Mm-hmm. If I let my, uh, and I feel I feel very humble about what I did in Death of a Salesman. Mm-hmm. And I just um, sat down with a friend and we were catching up. And she, we barely talked since she saw Death of a Salesman. And she yeah. was saying, I really loved your performance. You were so good. And I'm like, wow. I really did everything I could to try and get out of the way. Mm-hmm. That was rather than making choices, because I felt like the choices were. Yeah. I was like a neighbor, so the choices are kind of light. Yeah. Um, you know, the story is about Willie, but it's about Willie and the world and the people that he interacts right. with. That's right. And so I want to support that, mm-hmm. but I realize that part of what needs to happen is that I represent a whole aspect of Willie's world. Mm-hmm. And the audience needs to, I need to come from that aspect. When I come on, mm-hmm. I got to be coming from a house with a wife and a kid yeah. and a job. Yeah. Even though we barely touch, somebody said, well, what is your job? And I'm like, you know, the play doesn't say, which gives me the freedom as an actor to have a secret. Yeah. I can choose for myself what yeah. it is. Yeah. But what I know is all of that needs to be in my head. Every word I have with, every breath I have with Willie, Willie clowns me. The first, the first night we get together, he says, what are you doing up? Mm-hmm. I said, I couldn't sleep because it had a heartburn. Mm-hmm. He said, well, that's because you don't eat well. Yeah. And that's the first thing out of his mouth to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, this has got to be, uh, I decided for myself to see yeah. regular communication between us. Mm-hmm. We banter. Yeah. I let him get a few jabs in. Yeah. I get one in every now and then. Yeah. And mostly I blow him up. And every now and then I've got to put him in his place. Mm-hmm. But I let a lot of it just go. Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And rather than making choices about those questions, I just, I was up nights thinking about this, thinking this stuff over because I'm like, I don't want to miss something, but I don't want to force it. I don't want to just make a choice yeah. just to have made a choice. Yeah. I want to find, I want to keep exploring. And so that's, mm-hmm. for me, the whole run of that show was that wonderful exploration of trying to find some answers to those questions mm-hmm. in the interactions that we were having. Yeah, it reminds me of, I just finished, um, <coughs> it was, um, well, by Lisa Cron, and my role was very limited, and I was in sort of the same situation where I'm really just feeding mm-hmm. the main actress. Right. And I, I took it, it's almost like being, I, I don't play hockey, but the wingman, mm-hmm. where... Or in basketball, you know, you make the, the perfect pass, right. assist to the person. Mm-hmm. Just not necessarily staying out of the way, but my role is to feed, you know, right. as actor to motivate this actor. There was one time I was on stage, I had to play a drunk, mm-hmm. and I made the actress laugh, and she needed to laugh. Right. And it helped her, you know, with, with the other scene. Yeah. Because, you know, there were other scenes where it was a little too dark or, or what have you, and of course, I'm just, I'm, I'm basically just a. A drunk, and I play a bunch of other characters. Sure. But it's all, you know, my objective was, of course, I create a world, just right. as you were talking yeah. about. I do my character analysis. Okay, why am I drunk? What's really going on? I'm, I'm a black man in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I, I have a house, but I'm beating on my wife, right. and I'm picking on my child. Right. I can understand why I would do that, because I'm in a foreign world. Sure. Maybe I come from the deep south, right. and I'm surrounded by these white folks. Mm-hmm. 
and this is also the early 60s. It's very easy mm-hmm. to create this world. But, of course, this isn't about me and my world. Right. How does it feed the actress? How does it, how does it fit into the big scope that the director wants for this play? So, yeah, let's see if we can take, bring this back into this idea. I like this idea of the millennials mm-hmm. using the, and I hate, actually, I do hate the term. Yeah. Um, well, we're generation, do you consider yourself generation X? No, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm, a I'm, I'm, I'm late boomer. depending on who counts it, I'm the very end of the boom. <laughs> okay. The not the end, actually, I'm, yeah. Um, I heard it called 64, I heard it called 66, mm-hmm. I, yeah, they heard it called 61, but I'm in all of those, I'm born in 59, <laughs> so. Okay. Um, I fit in any of that, but I'm the tail end of it. Yeah. So as a teenager, mm-hmm. when I saw what the baby boomer generation was doing, what the hippies were doing, and the marchers, and all that stuff, yeah, they felt like adults to me. But somehow I'm supposed to fit in that same mm-hmm. grouping, and I'm like, yeah. yeah. But even then, I feel like nobody put those the way millennials are being characterized seems to me to be so much of, you know, somebody will take something like statistical mm-hmm. something, yeah. and then they will characterize it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a slanted characterization most of the time. Oh, sure. So it's a fact that they are going to church. Mm-hmm. We see that. So why are they going to church? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it isn't some of this stuff we're talking about, um, that they don't see that they can get a level of satisfaction from... From that interaction, from that yeah. that sense of community, that they don't feel like they're yeah. going to become a better person. To be honest, I don't know if, and I don't want to generalize millennials, but I'll just say people in general, people in general who don't, let's say, either go to church or let's say go to uh, theater or even interact, let's say, in the office environment. I mean, there are people who keep, there are certain people who keep, keep to their clan, right? They keep to their clique. They have people who they love to socialize with, and they could care less about anyone else. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. There are people I ride on the bar every day, right. and there are people who are on their phones or they yeah. just don't even talk to me. Right. I want to zone out and just focus on whatever. Right. It's very rare to find someone who authentically wants to meet someone new. Sure. It's, it's interesting. Earlier this week, um, so I moved into the, the place that I live now. I had moved out of uh, two years ago, and I managed to move back in. And so uh, earlier this week, I saw an uh, individual uh, on the BART platform, uh, the um, Lake Merritt platform, and he waved hi. I don't know his name. Right. I don't know anything about him, but he was like, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. What's going on? I'm like, well, you know, I've just moved back. And that was nice. Right. He didn't have to do it, but he felt this is a I, there's a connection. Right. And we obviously we need more of that. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like Sesame Street or whatever, but I, I really think the world would be a better place if we and connected more. To me, so that's what's under that question is because it is all those things. You're right. How do people make connection? Mm-hmm. Do they want to go from where they live to work to wherever else they go in their daily route? Mm-hmm. And not engage, and not you know, is the person who knows them the best the, the person at the, the local market? Yeah, is that the person that they know the best in their world? That would be horrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is even going on. I was reading that uh, I don't know if it was Uber or one of these tech startups, but I guess uh, one there was a 
I read. I was reading it on Life Hacker or whatever, but they have these meetings to try to boost morale or boost connections. Mm-hmm. But they do it in a very corporate way. Like we're going to do an exercise. We're going to do this or that or the other. Try to mandate connections. Right. And honestly, I don't think it works mm-hmm. that way. I mean, I, if it doesn't happen naturally, mm-hmm. if you don't have, like you asked the question, how do people connect to each other? People have to want to. Right. If they don't want to, what can you do? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I think, I wonder if we're losing that as part of our identity. Mm-hmm. In yeah. this age, people are very much getting into their individual thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they, if, I think it would be more useful for us to see ourselves as social animals. Yeah. That there's a need. That you can have some distance and you can have some privacy. Mm-hmm. Um but that you need a certain amount of human contact. You know, and some people do it with pets, and mm-hmm. that's fine to a certain extent, but finding what that is and then trying to have it reflected in your world, yeah. in the world that is your little movement through space, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm going I'm to go bug this preacher <laughs> and uh, pastor and ask yeah. her, um, if they, you know, I'm sure they must talk about it. Yeah. Because she's very much on the activist side of things. Oh, good. And yeah. that's great. Yeah. But I think even more basically, if I get up on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. I really want to go to some place that's going to be gentle. I want it to be mm-hmm. uplifting. Mm-hmm. But I, I want it to, I don't want to feel like I, I get in and you give me a list of gotta do's and, you know, next sure. week we're having this thing and you gotta, and we gotta take care of this. That's, thing. that's what, that's what gets people to run away. I think there has to be a a more base sense of we are all here because we all have, each of us has our needs Mm -hmm. and we make this time and this space for us to get those, to take some steps towards getting those needs met. Yeah. And in doing that, maybe we share some of this Mm -hmm. social animal identity. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So personally, because it's, you know, I grew up as from... You know, my dad remarried, and uh, I have a brother and a sister who are um, 14 and 16 years uh, younger than me. So I grew up most of my childhood as an only child, and um, I was a bit isolated. And, uh, of course, with with a lot of only children, you have a vivid imagination, and uh, you do a lot of things on your own. I mean, I had some playmates uh, around the block and all that stuff, but a lot of times I spent alone. And I, for a while, I had grown up thinking, oh, I don't need to socialize. And I adjust, I'll just do everything on my own. And I quickly realized, especially when I went to uh, Duke Ellington School of the Arts, mm-hmm. because uh, the, the, the junior high school that I went to prior to that, it was uh, Rabot Junior High School, which is closed down, so violent, so mm-hmm. horrible. Mm-hmm. Teachers had walkie-talkies to, you know, to report whatever was going on. They didn't want to go to the bathroom. I mean, it's... So everything you can think about <clears throat> a ghetto high school, you know, D.C. public school system. And my way of surviving was just to keep to myself. Right. If, no, if I don't speak, if I don't speak to anyone, if I just keep to myself, people will guess. I'll be like a mystery man. Mm-hmm. And I carried that mentality into Ellington, and a lot of people were like, listen, you don't talk a lot. I can't connect to you. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a problem. And at first I was like, well, why is it a problem? I mean, that is just me. But then I realized I'm, I'm in an environment where I have to 
Uh, I'm connecting with actors. I'm connecting with dancers. I'm connecting with people who are just emoting and sharing mm -hmm. a part of themselves. Right. It's unfair for me to be in this environment and not want to share a part of myself as well. Mm -hmm. It's always like I'm being stingy or selfish right. or I'm not earning my keep of even being here mm -hmm. in this artistic environment. And I feel about that with theater. If you join a theater production company, I mean, even if you're just an actor and, you know, you join a play, you have an obligation to show, share a part of yourself. Right. It's almost like um, being in the kitchen with, with um, and bring and you know, what are you going to do in the kitchen? You know, so-and-so is doing this and uh, such and such is doing that. What's your contribution? Mm -hmm. What do you have to bring to the table? Because mm -hmm. if you have nothing to bring to the table, it's it's an act of selfishness. Yeah. You know what can, what can you bring? So, um, I was thinking about um, speaking about selfishness or, or what have you. Um, rhinoceros has been on my mind. ANS goes rhinoceros. Um, basically, it's for those who don't know. It's basically about a play of an individual. It's a theater of the absurd, and uh, it's about individuals who are turning into not rhinoceroses or rhinoceri in a community. And there are these uh, core characters who are bewildered. Oh my God! Wh why are these rhinoceroses running around and debating it? And debating it. Right from the, did I actually <coughs> see it? Are you sure you saw it? Right. You know. Um, Mm -hmm. From the beginning, they can never agree quite on whether or not it's happening mm -hmm. and exactly what is happening. Yeah, I think they're three acts. So Act One, Jean and uh, another uh, – oh, the, the – um, what's the char main character's name? Bergerac? Um, Berger Ber or something like that. Mm -hmm. But in any case, uh, he's a, a drunkard or he's sloppy, he's slovenly. Basically, he has all of these uh, human ills that are looked down upon in this intellectual society. And he and his friend are just arguing, and the friend is saying, hey, you need to shape up and all that stuff. Right. And all of a sudden, they see a rhinoceros, and uh, and people are, you know, bewildered. Mm -hmm. Then, actually, that's when the debate starts. They're in right. Rob's environment. No, you didn't really see a rhinoceros. Right. That's yes, ridiculous. So work environment. And yeah. What was amazing was, mm -hmm. uh, and that one, um, diversity and multiculturalism come up. Yeah. I was shocked. I was like, when was this written? Because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it suddenly pops up. Yeah, yeah. 1959. Hmm? 1959. It's, and it's the same dynamic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some people saw it. Mm -hmm. Some people heard about it and yeah. are, are trusting it. Some yeah. people are questioning it. Yeah. And, and it's, they, get, they keep getting off topic mm -hmm. because it becomes these personal attacks. Yeah. Rather than trying to really figure out what is going on. Right. They, they sort of revert back to their, I guess, um, their, their quirks or, yeah. you know, the way they operate or whatever. And, of course, as the play goes on and on, each of them s slowly turn into rhinoceroses or whatever. And it's really about all but him, right, exactly. And he finds himself alone in the world. And it's about conformity. Uh, it's about uh, Ionesco lived in France um, during the uh, Nazi occupation. Right. Uh, and he saw a lot of his intellectual friends. He was among college friends. And... They s slowly started turning, not Nazi, but there's a group called the Iron, the Iron Guard, uh, which was um, basically an anti-Semitic 
very Nazi-like group. And it was one of those things, well, this is part of the clique, or this is the thing right. to do, or whatever. Uh, without any, and he even said that a college professor who he um, um, had a lot of respect for, even he became right. a part of the guard. And the reason why I'm thinking about that now, you know, we're in the age of uh, Trump, and we've gotten so where I even see it on the news where people aren't necessarily having intellectual conversations, but we're either snarking, making right. snarky remarks, or talking down. Personal attacks. Personal attacks, where, you know, Republicans are talking down against Democrats, Democrats talk down against Republicans. Right. When Obama was elected, Republicans, you know, had snarky comments about him. Right. And now that Trump is president, you know, I see it on Saturday Night Live or whatever, we have snarky comments or whatever. Right. And there's not a lot of intellectual conversation about what the real problems are in the world. Right. And, you know, like uh, Trump dropped a uh, the largest megaton bomb non-nuclear right. on, um, I think it was Afghanistan, um, right after um, bombing uh, Syria. Syria. Um, but it, people are still making jokes, like, oh, right. you know, Trump wants to be, you know, win a war or right. something like that. And I just wonder... Maybe because you know we've just been talking about our you know being in being individual and not forming a community, and I think one of the ways of um, of um, losing your in, your individuality mm-hmm. or losing I guess the sense of community right. is by just parroting and doing what other people are saying or jumping into me too. Um, well, that's one way. The other thing is to not see how you basically. We turn each other into automatons. Mm-hmm. If I go around just seeing the world from my individual perspective, yeah. then I make the rest of you, like everybody on part, you're all basically automatons. Mm-hmm. Everybody that I have to pass going to work, you're all, you're mm-hmm. not real people. Right. And it's it's fascinating. Rhinoceros um, was, I, I read an article, and I think it was from the New York Times, that talked about it right after Trump got elected. Mm-hmm. And... And it seemed like a great idea to look at this play again in that context. Because what's wonderful is the main character at the end, you do not feel a sense of he's the only one who knows what's going on. He is full of doubt at that point. Yeah, yeah. He is full of doubt and stubbornness. Mm-hmm. So who's really the rhinoceros? You know, at that point, yeah. you just, it, the play leaves you with that sense of these people may be doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You don't get to be righteous about your position. Yeah. Because, one, you don't really understand what is going on with those people. Yeah. And you will, if, if you really make the effort to understand mm-hmm. them, then on some point it gets down to a more human level that becomes some empathy. Right, exactly. And that's an important point. And that, that's the core thing of empathy. I can be a Democrat, but I can still say, well, if you're a Republican, then why are you a Republican? Are you a Republican because you're concerned about your money? Maybe you're a businessman and you're paying too much taxes, or you feel you're paying too much taxes, right. or you're heavily, you know, ultra-religious and you have problems with people getting abortions, or your tax dollars. You feel that you're sinning in the name of God, or, or to, you know, to get off of that hot topic. Mm-hmm. Hot button topic. Yeah, uh, that you don't like the government spending all this money on programs to rehabilitate rehabilitate drug users. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It could be anything. But the point is, are you making the effort to understand the other other side? Right. And when they say, "Well, that's how you become the rhinoceros," you know, first people were against being a rhinoceros, and right. all of a sudden you uh, you know 
like I've heard uh, when Trump bombed um, Af- Afghanistan, there were some people who were against Trump now are you know, riding the patriotism train. It's like, well, hey, you know, now we're really doing something. Well, with the Syria bombing, too, mm-hmm. Brian, Brian Williams? No. Williams? You're talking about the anchor? I think, I didn't see it. I just, I, but I heard uh-huh. it played over and over again because he talked about how it was a beautiful bomb. Oh, really? Like, really? Like, uh, <laughs> okay. It reminds me of Bush. Remember Bush? Everyone, Bush was a laughing stock until September 11 happened, right. and everyone became patriots. And he, yeah, and he and started won re-election. Started talking like he knew what was going on, mm-hmm. and started talking about we have to take action. Mm-hmm. And it was the same sort of empty rhetoric that the current president talks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, that's a good idea. How do you plan on actually accomplish that? Do you have a plan to accomplish that? Yeah. Yeah, that needs fixing. How are you going to do it? Yeah. You know, yeah. don't come back, and that's my big joke with all of this, has been how long is it going to be before he comes back and says, who knew that this was so complicated? <laughs> a bunch of us knew. Yeah. We've been trying to tell you. Yeah. And the thing about rhinoceros, people get the, the – there's a lot of reaction. There's a lot of emotion mm-hmm. in rhinoceros. Right. Where people are angry, people are astonished, people are afraid. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when you're in these stages, you don't think. And that's what also point out that yeah. they're, they're also sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Which, like, there's the, uh, the wife uh, at the workplace. There's mm-hmm. a wife that comes in and says that her, her husband, husband. That's right. And, yeah. and then they see the husband running around right. off stage yeah. as, as a rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. But it's clear from the way she describes it that she just wants to be with her husband. Right. And wants to help her husband. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't really care Yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. She just wants to figure out if there's a way to do something. Yeah. And so in the same way that everybody else becomes ridiculous, mm-hmm. she's ridiculous because she's not really wanting to look at the problem and see what it is, identify it. Right. But she's not coming out of fear or, or you know, some political... Mm-hmm perspective, some philosophical perspective. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember um, I spoke to, I had, I had a landlady, my prior landlady was from Hungary, and she talked about how it, it was like living in a country that borders, I think, Russia and also Germany, mm-hmm. and always being invaded once right. every 10 years or so. Of course, right. being an American, I could never right. imagine something like that. Mm-hmm. And how you have to, I don't know if the word is conform. But sometimes, in order to survive, you have to sort of you do adjust. like the Romans. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to find. You have to find that. And yeah, rhinoceros feels like it could be a good, a good way for us to stop and look, assess our situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people can say, "Well, it's America; it can never happen." I mean, well, we know we never thought that he could be elected right. again, but it's happening now. And that's the scariest thing to me is every time somebody says hopeless, you know, they mm-hmm. don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, I don't know what to do, but I know I'm going to do some things. Right. And, and I know that the people around me are going to do some things. Mm-hmm. And the danger is they're going to wait for that, you know, wow, he finally did something and now we can take a position on it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to really trying to assess what is the true situation. Mm-hmm. What are the problems? What are the possible solutions? Now, what can we practically work toward? Yeah. Or what can we mm-hmm. reasonably, you know, it, protesting is fine. Mm-hmm. It's a necessary part of saying, 
this is what is going on in our country and mm-hmm. whether or not you're on board with it. Yeah. But sitting back and just being bewildered. Right, exactly. That's you, exactly right. Isn't going to get us anywhere. It reminds me of the early civil rights movement prior to um, Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. prior to Brown v. Board of Education. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize there was a civil rights movement. You know, there were these discussions hey, how does the black man survive? In this world, right. there were debates between, between Booker T. Washington and W. B. Du Bois, right. you know, whether to uh, assimilate or or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were protests, and there were, you know, the NAACP filed um, lawsuits right. against states and governments to try to combat Jim Crow. It seemed helpless. It seemed hopeless. Right. I wouldn't know how to live if in the 1930s a black man in the South. Right. Um, but they, they, but, but there were leaders, yeah. Also, who and that, like the first time I read about somebody saying, "Well, why don't you sing as a good Negro spirit?" <laughs> the first time I read that, I was like, "What?" And then you come to find that back in that time, if yeah. you were a Negro leader going to white people to try and ask That's right. them to do something to help your community, That's right. you might be asked to do that, and you better be ready to come with. Well, I'm sure that's how um, Grambling and all of those, uh, you know, traditional black colleges were built. Yeah. You know, you had the Jubilee Singers. Right. Yeah. Um, So it's, I guess the funny thing is, because it feels like some of this that we're talking about, when I think about this man, this poor doctor Mm -hmm. that got pulled off the internet. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. We, and I know I see it in some of my friends on Facebook. Uh Um the sort of shock of that moment. And then the next statement is always, I can't believe it happened. And that never happens. It's like, well, okay, stop. Stop. You can't believe it happens. Now, that is where you should take some information. Mm-hmm. Because what you say right now is something is happening in front of you, and you are having trouble mm-hmm. taking it in. You are having trouble. Yeah. And if you don't figure out how to take it in, mm-hmm. you are not going to be able to help solve this problem. Right. But then don't go to that next step of it never happens. No, it's been happening for a long time. Yeah, ex- absolutely. And absolutely. What I love is when they first talked about it, they kept saying a doctor. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I saw a picture of man, and the first thing out of my mouth was, he's Asian. Yeah. Wait a minute. Did they target the Asian man? Did they actually think that's, that that's what I thought? Man, we just put him off. He's not going to raise a fuss. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, why did they choose him? They chose five individuals. Right. And the Asian man said, listen, I have an operation that I have to attend to. Right. I can't leave. Right. i got to go. i got to go. And you're absolutely right. I think they picked one individual. Well, he's not going to put a foot. We can't. You know, she was a black man. Can't we? Well, and you have to wonder how much this played into it, because maybe it didn't play into the choice. Mm-hmm. But when he said no, yeah. did that push somebody's butt? Like, wait a minute. You mm-hmm. know, you're not supposed to. You I, you people are not. You don't do that. Right, exactly. I mean, which is, which is total racism. I, I talked right. to a friend of mine, a Cambodian co-worker of mine. I was like, can you believe that happened? And he didn't want to He didn't want to put place the racism card, but I guess as a minority, that's the first thing that I thought. I was like, why, why did they choose him? What well, look. People don't understand is when you're in that situation mm-hmm. where you see these things happen, it's reasonable for you to ask yourself, is this happening again? Yeah. Now, exactly. You have to really look at the situation and, and get an answer. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, try to get a real answer. Don't just make up an opinion. Don't start with an opinion. 
start with a question. Don't make it an opinion. Right. Um, and then see if you can find out. Mm-hmm. But the other big clue with a lot of these things is the lack of information. Yeah. When they're not talking about this. When um, there was another story, was it two years ago? When the cop went crazy in L.A. Cop went crazy and they ended up hunting him down. I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've yes. heard that story yeah. unfolding for days. Yeah. And I'm like, this sounds weird. And they sound like he's a mad dog and they're going to put him down. This just sounds weird. I don't understand this. And then I found out he's a black man. I was like, oh, of course. I was like, I'm a black man. I, yeah, I remember that he, he killed some. Um, it was um, his partner's daughter or something like that. It was during the Super Bowl. I, I, I remember. I don't remember that. I remember writing about that in my journal entry. Yeah, they, they yeah. chased all over and ended mm-hmm. up shooting other people. Oh wow! Um, just trying to get him. Yeah. And I'm like, no. I'm sorry, but of course I'm going to look at that and go, wow, is this a factor? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to look at that. So, yeah. I want somebody to get a real answer, but it's hard to get a real answer because it's hard to grab somebody who is motivated, who is being biased, mm-hmm. and get them to stop and, and think about it. You know, when you mentioned about real, like what is, the, what is the real answer, what is the truth, it's gotten so, I mean, back in the day, we could listen to Walter Cronkite or see Walter Cronkite, and it was like, hey, he says it, that's it. Right. Those were the good old days, and now I've got to... I think I may have mentioned that in the earlier, uh, last week. Mm-hmm. I've got to go through at least five. I read CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post and right. see if all corroborates right. with one another. Because there, there's so much, and I, I understand, it's 24-hour news cycle, right. and they well, need money. And so they're just pumping it out as quick as they can. Exactly. And you have pundits, you know, one pundit right. talking to another. Oh, speaking of which, did you hear about, so there's a pundit on CNN that compared Trump to Martin Luther King Jr. Can you believe this? On CNN. On CNN. Now, he is a, um, because a lot of these pundits or a lot of these contributors, they work for campaigns. So he sure. worked on the Trump campaign. Okay. So, okay. like Katrina Peterson, you know who Katrina Peterson is. Oh, okay. She's a black woman who's a Trump supporter. Okay. That was a Trump, I think she, um, that's how Kellyanne Conway became the, um, I guess, the communications. communications person because she was a pundit for Trump. Right. So if you, Work for, I hate to use a slavery term. If you work for the man, you know, you, you may, you know, you, you may get to step up. So in any case, uh, so yeah, Katrina Pierce is one of them. But this other guy, he basically, his argument was, well, in order for Trump to uh, demolish Obamacare, and, and he can't do it by working with the Democrats because the Democrats right. won't talk to him, right. he's got to use a protest method right. in order to do it, just like Dr. King did. And it, the, the analogy doesn't work at all. It doesn't. I mean, it's the craziest thing. And I'm sure he's going to just... man in power. Right. He leads the country. Dr. King was just... How do you compare... a preacher. I know. How do you compare Jim Crow With to Obamacare? Yeah. Yeah. No. It's just... But they're, they're doing anything they can to muddy the waters. Right, exactly. And to get their name in the paper and to, you know, I'm sure the guy will tell Trump, hey, I tried, you see, mm-hmm. and they're crucifying me, so, you know, I did my job. Right. Right. Well, the, and, yeah. No, I, the, I find myself sometimes just looking to see what the international press is saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, when the China-Trump visit happened, mm-hmm. I was like, what is the, the Chinese press saying? Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what they're saying about this. Because the American press, well, number one, they were not allowed in. 
So, right. You can't tell the story if you're not there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then you just go tell the story of what they told you happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, great. I know what they say. Was there anybody else? Anybody mm-hmm. got another point of view on this? Right, right. And yeah, and that's, so I, those are things that I think are good about where we are at. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves and take care of ourselves in this mess. Mm-hmm. Because the fact is, we have to stay vigilant and we've got to stay active. Yeah. We've got to stay in the game right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that means we've got to find our downtime and we've got to find those moments to take care of ourselves. And I don't know that if it had gone the other way. Oh, you mean if Hillary had won? If Hillary had won, I, you know, and it's funny because I occasionally get into it with somebody on Facebook and, you know, they, they make some big overarching statement about how Hillary and all these things would be for her. I'm like, no, 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 oh, I am a black man. Under Obama, I was not treated particularly well. The, the cause of the black people in America was not on Obama's agenda. It was not something he was working toward. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can go all the way back to Clinton. You know, it was the same thing. Hillary was basically going to stay on that same track. I don't see how that was really going to help me. I, you know, I, I, you know, we can agree to disagree. I think that, especially the Justice Department, you know, having the Justice Department look into, like, the Trayvon Martin situation and also... Right. Um, uh, Ferguson, Ferguson, right. New Jersey. I, I, I've heard now, you, you're not alone because I've heard a bunch of folks talk about, well, you know, what, what did Obama really do and all of that stuff. I don't know if I can expect my president to do everything for me. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm trying to think, was my life better, you know, between 2008 up to now. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it is, is up to me. I mean, you know, living in California, I, I think we're all in a bubble where, you know, a lot of atrocities can happen elsewhere in the United States, but I think, you know, with Jerry Brown, especially in the Bay Area, there's just a lot of things that just aren't going to happen. Right. Like there I think, are a lot of negatives that yeah. are not here. Sure. Yeah. Like I think about Oscar Grant, I was thinking about, um, there's some killings that elicit riots. Right. And there are some killings where there may be some little protests, but, you know, the city doesn't explode. Right. And I was thinking to myself this week, you know, what's the difference between the two? Like when Oscar Grant was shot in the back right. in Oakland. Right. There was, I mean, it was international news. Right. But the city didn't explode. Right. I mean, there, there were some protests, but, you know, the city didn't burn down. Right. Um, whereas Rodney King, for God's sake. Right. Were you in L.A. during that time? No, I was up here. And man, it was it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was taking public. I was in San Francisco. And I was taking public transit. Ooh, you could feel the tension. Yeah, and, and I have a bit of a theory as to why some gain this this uh, uh, where, where some cities or some communities are like, okay, that's it. The hell with it. You know, we're going to burn this place down. Mm-hmm. And some are. There's some communities that do a very very good job, or they try to even if it's a veneer, mm-hmm. of letting people know, hey, we care. Right. Like, uh, there was the, who was the Oakland mayor? Gene, was it Gene Kwan? Gene Kwan. Like, people complained about Gene Kwan, uh, especially the Occupy movement. It yeah. sounds like she handled that really, really. Uh, they beat her up on that. Yeah. I, I felt sorry for her for that one. Yeah. Because I, I felt like there was no leader anywhere in the nation who dealt with Occupy well. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And so for her to be held to some standard that nobody was mm-hmm. meeting. Yeah. 
and, you know, it was just unfair. <laughs> I mean, when you the, the, some people may say, "Oh my God, the Bay Area and, and the police and, and you know, the police are pigs and all that sort of stuff." And I, and I have to tell them, listen, in New York, some guy had a a, a, a plunger stuck in his butt. Right. You know, um, I can Tawana Brawley, Bernard Getz, Yusuf Hawkins. The Central Park Five. I mean, I went to school and saw all of this in New York right. at that time. Right. So I know what a hostile community is. I know what a hostile police force looks like. Sure. You know, and that brought in Rudy Giuliani when all that stuff was going on. They kicked David Dinkins out. They said, hey, let's get in a, a um, law and order. Law, that's right, a law and order uh, mayor. And, of course, he uh, total, total um, you know, police force, and that's when you have a police force that is militarized. Right. We don't have that here in the Bay Area. No, not yet. <laughs> you, you don't think so? You think it's getting there? No, well, I think what's happened is the federal government has been pushing in that direction. And so, you know, like, Oakland wanted uh, basically a tank. Is that right? And yeah. the community went, no, hell no. And they went, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. the feds are kind of going, well, we've got all this equipment. <laughs> and... If we just give you, we'll give you grants so that you can buy the equipment. Mm-hmm. And that takes care of the equipment. And I'm like, no, we really need that. I mean, that's a bigger conversation about shifting the focus of the police. Mm-hmm. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Is when I'm looking for leadership, I'm looking for somebody who's not just going to get in and try to make it a little better than it is now. Mm-hmm. There are some things that need to change in a big way. And... I would be fair to the police. I love, was it Dallas? Um, I think it was a Dallas police chief mm-hmm. who said, y'all are expecting too much from us when those when the yeah. killings happened there. I remember that, yeah. Uh, so y'all are expecting too much. Right? Mm-hmm. Black guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I was so excited about it. I went and I looked him up, and I went, okay, we still are not on the same page about a lot of things. Right. But we are on the same page about that. Mm-hmm. We are asking our police to do too many different things. Mm-hmm. And when you tell people who are trained to be in a dangerous situation to go handle a bunch of other situations, mm-hmm. it should not be a surprise that people keep getting shot. Right, right. Because that's what they've been trained to do. Yeah. We need to find other ways mm-hmm. to approach that stuff. So that's that's all. I mean, when I, you know, I, I voted for Obama. Was happy mm-hmm. about Obama being in, but I was under no illusions that Obama was going to come in mm-hmm. and change hundreds of years of oppression. Of course, he was not going to, and then he yeah. had Congress that wasn't going to help him. Right, but right. that's what I mean. He didn't, and he wasn't, and so he focused on other things, mm-hmm. and he tried to get other things, and he did get some other things. Yeah, done. yeah. Um, and I felt like going forward under mm-hmm. the Hillary folks, we're basically going to keep on that track, and I'm like, you know. I'd like, I would really like, it's not going to happen, but I would really like my government to stop <laughs> this war thing. We, our budget for military is higher than the next 11. It is. was the most recent That's budget. right. Next 11 combined. Mm-hmm. We've right. got enough power. Maybe we need better training. Maybe that's what we need. We don't need more equipment. We don't need more of any of that stuff. That's exactly right. We need to refocus how we do that. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have leadership that can deal with that reality and try to find a way towards a change, Mm -hmm. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in seeing this continue. I'm not interested in being an American whose president is killing families, innocent people, kids. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not interested in that being that American. I'm going to be that American who goes, I oppose this, I think this is wrong, and no, I do not support you, whatever you are trying to sell me. I do not support you if that's what you want to do. Right. No, I, I totally agree. I will say a criticism of, I guess, the Obama, I'll say the Obama campaign is overselling, you know, the whole hope and right. faith and whatever. And obviously, if you oversell, if you tell if you tell a kid at Christmas, hey, you're going to get a lot of presents. Right. And you don't. Right. But you still they get some presents. Right. There's going to be some flack. Yeah. So um, there's that. Uh, but... I'm really worried. I mentioned the Justice Department because I was very um, happy to see in, in the latter end of Obama's administration his interjecting or the Justice yeah. Department interjecting yeah. when things like Ferguson happened. Right. And now we have just set Jeff Sessions as, as an attorney general saying, oh, my God. Well, and then it makes me think, so what about, you know, you say the department. Mm-hmm. What about these lifers? What about these folks who this has been there? And I've heard interviews with some of these people. Mm-hmm. And they, some of them are amazing right now. I'm really mad at the people who are just taking early retirement. I'm mad at those folks. Because I'm like, y'all, we need you now more than ever. We need you to stand up to this. We need you to fight for what's right. Mm-hmm. We need you to not let these policies shift us. And, you know, and it's something that, and that's, that's the other hopeful side of all this to me, mm-hmm. is I feel like this is possibly the last hurrah. This is the last gasp of this old way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Because the millennials, again, millennials don't really care about gays. You know? Yeah, gays right. get married, gays have families. Gays should have protection at work. And yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. They don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, there are other things like that. So mm-hmm. the next generation is kind of going... That's some stupid old people stuff. We're not about that. That's the thing that surprises me so much about 2016, because I really thought I'm, I'm totally with you. you have a, we have a newer generation that really, they just don't care mm-hmm. about, you know, I'm sure the conservative, you know, maybe the conservative Generation X or whatever who had a child will have a child who's like, listen, Dan, I don't really give a damn about, you know, all that stuff, God, gays, and guns that you really care about. Right. I'm focusing on my own thing, and what's the big deal? And I think the Internet has really liberalized yeah. America and the world. That's why I thought that Hillary was going to win. Mm-hmm. But uh, unfortunately, I think it also um, created lethargy where people are like, well, you know, we'll win anyway. I don't well, do I, I, I don't really think it, it, it activated mm-hmm. that other side because that's oh, the other yeah, thing yeah. that's come up with the whole fake news thing. These people believe stuff that is just not true yeah. and they jumped up on their pine legs yeah. ready to fight well, people want to believe what they want to believe. We all do. We all want to believe what we want to believe, but are we willing to look at that uncomfortable information mm-hmm. and really assess it? Yeah. And, you know, that that side was not worried about that. Tell the biggest lies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love it that even now one of the finance guys is like, oh, yeah, that was just on the campaign trail. There's no way he's going to get rid of the debt. He yeah. can't do it. It's not possible. Yeah. Eight years came out. And that's why I say people will believe what they want to believe as far as you can hear fake news, but if it's the news you want to hear, then you latch on to it. Whereas the other side, I guess, you know, liberals will say, well, that's not true, but everyone knows that's not true. Mm -hmm. There could be a naivete. Right, right. And I think that's true. There was an assumption that people would – well, that was a weird thing is 
some Trump voters knew that some of the, like the coal industry, yeah, knows that coal jobs aren't coming back. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But the man said he was going to bring their jobs back. Well, and they just said, okay, I'm going to I'm going to turn off the reason back in my brain and. I'm going to believe that. I'll hopefully disappoint so many people that, that they'll just be so pissed off that it'll come. And there's some congressmen right now who are, I guess they're doing these town hall meetings. Right. There's one guy, um, representative, I think his name is Scott. He's the same one who said, you lie to Obama during uh, one of his inaugural Oh, one of the State of the Union. Remember that guy? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he went to a town hall meeting, and most of them just yelled, you lie. Right. Because I guess he was talking about the evils of Obamacare and right. I need to. So he's getting a taste of his own medicine. Now, see, I want to go the other direction. I don't want him to fail. I want him to turn it around. I want him to give us health care for everybody, like he said he would. I want him to do that. Oh, I want him to not have us in wars all over the globe, like he said mm-hmm. he was going to do. Uh, you know, these are things that I'm like, dude, I'm clearly cool with those promises. I didn't believe a word out of your mouth, mm-hmm. but I would like to see you prove me wrong. Prove mm-hmm. me wrong. Yeah, yeah. So we the city's better. I don't know how you're going to do that, but <laughs> you, you go ahead and do that. Let's see. So here's an abstract question for you. Mm-hmm. Why, why do... Why did you become a, a actor-director? Why did you get into the arts? What, I'm, I'm interested in what makes us create. Mm-hmm. And that's really it's those programs. No, it's, you know, part of it is all those programs. Um, my mother was a single mother when we moved to California. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so she was working. And we signed us up for everything she could sign us up for. Oh, cool. She heard about there was something. You guys can be there all day. Great. <laughs> that's what you're doing. Yeah, summer. yeah. And, um, you know, there was one where somebody was doing, like, a little theater. One of the activities was theater. Mm-hmm. Started doing that. Singing. Started doing that. Mm-hmm. Just enjoyed it. Um, when the decision came, I think there's a way that, uh, in America, we talk about the arts. We point to those people, the designated artists. They are artists. Yeah. You know, those are actors. Mm-hmm. That's a painter. Mm-hmm. Photographer, or whatever, yeah. of music. Mm-hmm. And we kind of forget that, like, have you ever noticed how many pianos are around? Pianos. Pianos are everywhere. You know why? Because a century ago, the piano was the stereo, <laughs> the piano was the TV, the piano yeah, was it. Yeah, that's right, that's and right. Everybody learned. And sheet music, you can make your living just writing a song and the that's right. The, you know, the money you got from selling the sheet music, because mm-hmm. there wasn't a record. There wasn't any of that stuff. That's right. So we all got comfortable with, I can sing, I can do this, I can do that. People dance. Yeah. You know, through World War II, people danced in America. Yeah. Came back a little bit in the 60s for a minute. Mm-hmm. Then the hippies did it for a minute. Then yeah. Gisto did it for a minute. Yeah. You know, um, we have these periods where we give ourselves permission to express, but yeah. mostly we tell ourselves that there are professionals who do it. Mm-hmm. And so as a young man, I had been in love with theater, mm-hmm. and I thought I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. But nobody was telling me, oh, my God, you got to go do this. Yeah. So I just kept finding opportunities, and I kept doing it. I finally decided I was in a job, I had a day job, and I 
wasn't going to get another raise. They'd already given me for that, you know, for that position. They, there was no more money mm-hmm. they were going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going on seven years there. Mm-hmm. And I went. And I'm looking around the office at the old folks who've been there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to be. I'm not aiming at retiring out of this place. This is not. This is not what I want. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing anything that means anything to me. So. I was doing theater at that time, and at that point, I was making about $6,000 a year. And that was my rent. Mm-hmm. My rent was less than that at that point, actually. When I moved to Oakland, mm-hmm. um, I was like, okay. And this is the 80s? No, this was, uh, I moved to Oakland in 96. Okay, okay. Um, so I've been working around as an actor yeah. uh, for, you know, the half dozen years prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I was finally getting in the point, I, I was at the point where I was regularly doing shows and getting paid. And I realized, wow, I'm making $6,000 just kind of doing this part-time. Mm-hmm. What if I put all my energy into it? At the very least, I will have rent covered mm-hmm. and a little bit of money for, you know, I might be eating ramen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's see what I can do. Yeah. And I gave up that job. Now, the funny thing to me is I got out of school, I got out of college, and I started working. This mm-hmm. that period right before this. Yeah. Um, I went to a buddy's house for some party, mm-hmm. met a bunch of his friends. Mm-hmm. He kept introducing me around as an actor. <laughs> I realized I never introduced myself around as an actor before that. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, what do you do? Well, you know, I do theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, what, you act? Yeah, I act. But I never said, I am an actor. Yeah. After that party, because I wanted to stop him and correct him and tell him not to tell people that, and I realized that that was exactly what I was doing, and that's exactly who I was. Mm -hmm. And so I had to kind of own that identity. Well, what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not whatever? Mm -hmm. And that was when I kind of made my peace with this idea of it's expression. All the arts are about expression. It's about expressing something. Mm -hmm. You're working something out. You might be working it out for yourself. Yeah. You might be doing it for to give it to other people. You mm-hmm. might be doing it just because you enjoy that attention. Whatever it is, yeah. that's what's going on. And I knew that I liked that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had learned enough about how to do it that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And so I kept going. Um, where it flipped one more page for me was when I started teaching. Because I avoided teaching theater, acting. I had avoided act, teaching acting for a long time because mm-hmm. I felt like, what if I teach you all the things? Let's say there's five things i got to teach you. Mm-hmm. I teach you those five things. You're my A student. Mm-hmm. And now you walk out of the world and the world don't want you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I feel like I failed you. Mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't teach you what I should have taught you. Yeah. So I did not want to be a teacher unless I knew that I had the way to make you mm-hmm. that actor or tell you you're not going to be that actor. Yeah. And, and I knew that you can't tell anybody that. Everybody's got something that they do and yeah. some way that they come at it. Yeah. And obviously some people do better than others. Mm-hmm. What I ended up coming to, I got in a position where I'd been doing it sort of as a teaching artist. So I'd do performance stuff and then we'd do workshops. Mm-hmm. And then I started being asked to just do workshops. Yeah. yeah. And then I got hired to go into classrooms to talk about theater mm-hmm. but not really teach acting. Mm-hmm. And... What I quickly learned was I could get anybody to do some of the basics. Mm-hmm. And some people immediately were good at it and amazing. And some people weren't, but I could help them get better. Yeah. And I realized, wow, that's 
so, like, I love that there's this movement now, you know, there's this different shift in how you think about economics. Mm-hmm. One is that our economic system, a good economics, should take care of everybody, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. So that should be there. But the other thing is they're talking about as the robots are coming in, mm-hmm. what are people going to do? And, you know, there are a lot of proposals around the globe now sure. to just pay people. Yeah. And they're like, well, what would they do if they didn't have a job? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's um, there have been a couple of countries that have tried, it's at least gotten to the legislature and been, legislature and been discussed. Mm-hmm. Nobody's passed yet, I don't think. But yeah. it's at that level. Interesting. And the obvious pushback is, well, what are people going to do? You sit up and watch TV all the time. <laughs> well, was it a Wally? Was is, is that oh one? right? Yeah, yeah. Wally. Yeah. yeah, right. I, I keep wondering if there's a name for those people because that's I yeah. want to be able to use that name for people because yeah. there will be those people. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, somebody's going to say you even say, "Hey, you know what I've been doing? I've been getting up and walking the lake in the morning." Yeah, you want to get up and walk the lake? With yeah, me? yeah. It's a beautiful walk. It's good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I've been feeling stiff. I was feeling stiff too, and then I just got up and took this twenty-minute walk around the lake. Yeah. And now I feel great. Yeah. People are going to get up. They're going to start doing things. Yeah. Um, I work also as an art model. Mm-hmm. And so I see all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah. Wow, that person's never going to be a great artist. I've seen some amazing artists. And you know, they're just doing it for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're taking it home, maybe giving it to friends and family. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And then there's that person who's really trying to find something. Mm-hmm. And they're still searching for it. Yeah. Well, I went and saw the Demon Corn exhibit, Matisse mm-hmm. exhibit today. Uh-huh. And at, at the moment, right? At MoMA. Yeah. And I've seen his stuff for years and years and years. Seen mm-hmm. posters, especially because he was a Bay Area guy. Mm-hmm. Seen posters all over the place. Yeah. And as a model, sometimes I'm in a room where there are posters on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I'll stare and I'll see a poster. And I'll mm-hmm. be like, whoa. Because I'm staring at this thing that looked like a bunch of rectangles and triangles mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. With a bunch of little marks on it. Didn't know what it was. Something went, wow, wait a minute. That's a cityscape. With the hillside oh, you saw at that time of day. Yeah. Oh my God. And then I went back and looked at some of his other stuff mm-hmm. and saw similar sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Even in the stuff that feels very abstract, mm-hmm. if you spend some time with it, stuff starts happening to your brain. Yeah. And I went, that is good art. Mm-hmm. Now, we live in a capitalist society mm-hmm. and you're supposed to sell. Yeah. And so you got to make things that you can sell. Mm-hmm. But what if you just made things because you were trying to figure out, you know, figure out how to do it or yeah. just wanted to express something? Yeah. yeah. I think that's what we would do. We would become a society of expressors. Yeah. For those who choose to do it. You know, unfortunately, there are certain people who, they're so closed in. We talked about this earlier today. Right. They, they, for whatever reason... And unfortunately, a lot of it may have to do with your upbringing, childhood, that sort of stuff, where people just don't want to express. Like I talked to uh, a friend, we were talking about, um, what do they call them, tiger mothers, okay. who tell their children, hey, I, forget about the arts, I want you to focus on math and, right. and English mm-hmm. and whatever's going to get you a job, right. because that's their mentality. You know, you're going to be on the fast track right. of... You know, doing well, this. Because you've got to get this. If you don't have this, then you're nothing. Right, right. Everything is tangible. And forget about the intangibles right. of art. One of the things, you know, you, you shared your story. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a, basically, when I went into Duke, I went to school of the arts. And I remember speaking to a, a bunch of my friends. Every time I go back to D.C., I meet someone who I graduated from. And it, it'll be my 30th anniversary of, uh, of graduating.
So in any case, um, and we always talk about how Ellington saved us. We always talk about how we went to the school, we had no direction, right. we would have been running around in the streets, right. and all of a sudden we enter the school and we're given a sense of direction. We don't have teachers treating us like, sit down, sit down, sit down, <laughs> you know, right. just um, you follow the, the, the we'll follow what's in the book, the curriculum, and, and that's it. Right. But... We had teachers who treated us like adults. Like, listen, we're going to learn about beats. Right. We're going to learn about objectives. Right. I'm going to give you a script. Composition. Composition. And, uh, you know, get off book by a, a month. Right. This is your schedule. Right. And, and boom, here we go. Right. I mean, I actually earned money at Duke Ellington. I work tech, you know, and, and, and I felt like an adult. <clears throat> and I felt like, wow, because when you're a child and – your your father, uh, you know how your mind gets scattered when you're a teenager. Right. Your right. mind just thinks about all sorts of things. All yeah. of a sudden, you have someone who just focuses you yeah. like a magnet. Yeah. And arts does that uh, really, really well, yeah. where you're just creating and you get to express yourself. It's very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing. And also, you know, our family, music has really... Um, been the foundation of our family, whether it's gospel music or soul and R&B. Like, you know, I remember uh, being a child listening to my dad. Um, He had a group and he would listen to a spinner song or a whisper song and they would learn it and they would, you know, do the, um, break down the chords and do the harmony and all that stuff and sing. And I'm like, wow, that is just fantastic. And this is just really, really cool. And he, he, he was in the 70s there were these, a band of brothers, these guys who are trying to fight to make it big. If, even if they don't make it big, they have a sense of camaraderie. And the group that he has right now, two of them have been with him since, I think, uh, 1980. Still right now. I mean, they're literally brothers right now. And that's the sense. We talk about the sense of community with theater. Right, right. With art in general, you know, when you create with someone, if, when you, when, if I'm on stage with someone and someone has expose themselves to me mm-hmm. through the work. I'll, I'll remember that till the end of time. Right. I mean, statements and, you know, being naked on stage with, um, with Lorraine, um, mm-hmm. the woman who, uh, who I acted with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I have all sorts of, you know, wonderful memories and, and that's, the, that's the amazing thing. It's the thing you can't get from movies. Right. Movies is basically super superstars on a screen, right. way way far away from you. But you know, theater it's right there. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the Matisse painting that you were talking about, I totally understand. It, it's different from let's say just buying some some art uh, from. You know, they have these thirty dollar art paintings or whatever, or you know, looking at a poster of mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, um, Madonna or Beyonce or something like that. But then there's someone who's really communicating something through their, their paintings. Well, and I feel what I've learned from, mm-hmm. from my modeling mm-hmm. is anybody who shows up to do that, that's what they're doing on some level. Now, there are always those people who are trying to get it right. Mm-hmm. And without having a clear idea of what that means, mm-hmm. they're never going to get it right. Yeah. But if they enjoy their exploration, then they might get something worthwhile, mm-hmm. and that's fun. For those people who feel like they know where they're going with it, their mm-hmm. sense of accomplishment is so clear. Yeah. And I wish everybody was doing some art. Yeah. Because um, I have a buddy now who's, um, um, what do you call it, when you make 
he's sculpting, but you know, on, on a wheel and you know, yeah. he's spinning bases and, and that's I, I started as a as kid, my aunt took me to have uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a little ashtray. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I, I know from, again, from seeing people doing yeah. the work, how satisfying it is to have that visceral sensation of molding the clay, of controlling it, and and, and working with it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I learned out when they're doing figure, mm-hmm. if they're making it any size, one, they kind of have to hollow it out at a certain point. If they're doing where they do uh, wraps, where they make like um, ropes of clay, okay. and they they shape them. Yeah. If they do that, then they have to. At a certain point, they have to let it sit because it settles. Yeah. And then they have to also give it a thicker base uh-huh. um, because as it goes up, mm-hmm. if it's not thicker at the bottom, then it's going to collapse. So they're all kinds of things. That's the way the clay works. Yeah. So they end up learning all these things. So you can see a piece that may look realistic and mm-hmm. may look exactly like a figure. Yeah. But the mechanics of it, mm-hmm. that sculptor had to really deal with that in a totally different way. Yeah. Um, those are satisfying. Theater and making people read mm-hmm. has been satisfying. Mm-hmm. Getting people to sing, and I love it when people say they can't sing. Because, like, I'm sure if you if you looked it up, you'd find all kinds of um, video mm-hmm. of parents. Yeah. And it cracks me up. I love being at a playground somewhere, and I hear a dad who mm-hmm. you can tell never sings ever. Yeah. Singing that song that he and the kid have made up. Or oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's all expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a wonderful book. Uh, it's called Understanding Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott McCloud. Yeah. And at the end, he mm-hmm. talks about what is it to become an artist? What mm-hmm. is it? And he says there are actually six steps, and he breaks it down. But he opens the chapter with, um, back in prehistoric times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it said all that people cared about was, you know, Finding something to eat, mm-hmm. and you know, so they show caveman. He's chasing a woman, trying to get a woman, <laughs> trying to get away from danger. He's chasing her in one direction, and all of a sudden, you see him running back in the other direction. Yeah, and he's saber tooth. Right yeah, after. yeah. And he runs towards a cliff. There's a tree there, mm-hmm. and he runs, and he just, you know, in the moment, he just jumps up uh-huh. and swings on the tree yeah. branch, and the saber tooth misses him and goes over the cliff. Mm-hmm. And then he drops down, looks over the cliff, and then he goes. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott McCloud's little narrator pops up and says, and that moment is art. Mm-hmm. Because that's pure expression. Yeah. It's not about eating. It's not about obtaining mm-hmm. something. That's right. It's not about anything else. It's that. And then he says, so let's look at where this guy lives. I'm going to show you a little art colony. Mm-hmm. It's a prehistoric art colony. Mm-hmm. A bunch of people sitting around a rock um, fire. Yeah. And uh, one kid is sitting there and he's got a stick. Mm-hmm. And he's tapping on the rock. Yeah. And he's just found some rhythm. Mm-hmm. Another kid's got a stick and is scribbling in the dirt. Yeah. There's your artist. Yeah. Um, another kid is mad because mm-hmm. he got in a fight with another kid earlier and he lost. And mm-hmm. he's kicking the dirt. And mm-hmm. he just keeps kicking the dirt. Mm-hmm. Dancing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, oh, that's right. The person with the stick mm-hmm. isn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. You know, stomach's upset or something. Yeah. And they're making these squiggly lines. You know, suddenly you get to... Um, who is it, Munch or um, um, Van Gogh? Oh, yeah. You know, those, those, um, those artists that are known for their emotional quality. Oh, the sure. Yeah, Munch the screen. Yeah, yeah the screen. Yeah. So everybody has this in us, mm-hmm. and everybody has. Some people have more of a need to find that outlet for expression. Mm-hmm. Some people have, like you were saying, very little. Yeah. But I don't imagine that people would be just sitting around zoning out on the two. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that, as you were talking, like a baby knows how to laugh. Right. 
a baby knows how to express emotion. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there was, I don't know, some philosopher, I can't remember the person's name, to say art is, you know, children know how to do art. Right. But, you know, as it's, it's getting them to, it's getting an adult to remember what they did as a kid or, right. or, or something of that nature. Um, so emotion, it's, it's something that's, it's in us. I mean, uh, the, when someone says, oh, I, I don't sing, uh, I don't, right. I, can't, I can't do any of that stuff. I think what they're really saying is, I don't feel comfortable really doing this right now. Right. I'm not at that stage yet. And maybe they never will. Well, in the nerd society, we, we mm-hmm. need to do the professionals. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's outsourced. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. If I'm an actor, and that's one of the great, that's one of the things that I love about acting. Every time I'm on stage, I never worry about, you know, the audience or whatever. I, I'm like, hey, I get to play. I get to be something that I can never be. Right. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm a, um, a secluded uh, individual. I mean, I'm a Gemini, so I, you know, there, there are days where I'm up, there are days where I'm really down. But when I'm on the stage, I get to be something that I'm not. Right. I get to be some, I get to play another character. And it's a thrilling, a really, really thrilling thing to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, when I was on stage last time, I got to be a six-year-old kid. That was fantastic. I love that. Got to last year, last summer, I was mm-hmm. um, a grieving father mm-hmm. of an adult son mm-hmm. who had died. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any kids. I don't have any biological kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved allowing myself to have some feelings about that. I also gave myself a lot of space mm-hmm. for those parts that I don't know, mm-hmm. rather than creating it. That's a place where you sort of are inviting the audience to fill in. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know this is true, and you know this is true. You connect the dots in whatever way you want to, mm-hmm. audience member. Right. I'm not trying to connect those dots for you because I don't want to be untrue mm-hmm. to the character. Right. Right. And, and it was it was an exciting, it was very satisfying production mm-hmm. because. I was living a life that I have not lived. Mm-hmm. And, well, no, I mean, I mean, Dexter is 15. Mm-hmm. I, I, I figure I, I can see you dad and grow yeah. up and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and hopefully, you know, if he wants to get married and have kids. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see it with my stepfather. My stepfather has no biological children. Mm-hmm. But um, two of the grandkids mm-hmm. have his name. Mm-hmm. And they all love him and you know, and grew up with him. Yeah. And that's, he's an important person in their life. Yeah. And I'm like, that'll work. That'll do. Yeah. And so I was able to bring that to it. Mm-hmm. But it also was interesting because um, the son was an artistic son mm-hmm. who had died. Yeah. And okay. I, an artistic, artistic, he was a photographer. Got it, got it. And um, I didn't really understand his stuff. He was doing very abstract, modern kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. But I supported him because mm-hmm. I loved him yeah. and respected him mm-hmm. or had learned, had grown in my respect for him. So I found myself thinking, well, one, I was that kid. Mm-hmm. My parents were like, well, what are you going to do when you grow up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, uh, hopefully what else to do now. That's what, what else <laughs> I want to be doing. Right, yeah. And to be able to go, well, what's the flip side of that is there's that kid who I want to love. Yeah. But I don't fully understand them. Mm-hmm. So my ability to fully love, yeah. I know is limited by that, and therefore mm-hmm. I make more of an effort. So yeah. that loss mm-hmm. is also a regret that yeah. has that gap. 
Well, the wonderful thing, as you talk about that, I talk, I think about my dad, my relationship with my dad and I. I'm, I'm very, very close uh, to my dad, mainly because you know, we went through those times where I was a pre-teenager, and he didn't know how to communicate with me. He, one of his favorite statements was, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I what what's going on? I mean, what are you thinking about? And, and all of that stuff. I mean, he was very frustrated when I was a pre-teenager. But he would just talk and talk and talk. And sometimes just being there and just um, making the effort is the important thing. Those are the things that you remember. And, and it's, I guess it's a lot like acting. I mean, it's a lot like, oh, there's a line that I can't understand or there's a beat that I don't, I don't know where this is going. Or I'm not making that connection with uh, the partner that I'm with, mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep trying. I'm right. going to try this. Okay, next rehearsal, I'm going to go with this. Right. There have been times where I've come home and I'm like, okay, I can't really figure it out to say, okay, well, let me try this. Let me try that. Mm-hmm. And those are the fun times. It's but exciting, it's, especially yeah. when you put that time in. Yeah. And then you go back, I just sat in me a number of times, so I've gone back into rehearsal, mm-hmm. and whatever I thought I worked out mm-hmm. suddenly shifts. In the situation with that person in that space, mm-hmm. it even shifts some more beyond what I conceived of. Yeah. And maybe now I'm finding that fit. Mm-hmm. But it took all of that to get there. Yeah. No, it's, it's exciting. Um, I love one of the things I know, and it was one of the things I was worried about teaching theater, mm-hmm. is it feels like you're kind of teaching people to play. And that's fun, but all good play has rules. Yeah, and that's what's satisfying about play is figuring mm-hmm. out you do this, you, you sequencing or whatever you're doing yeah. to have that play. Mm-hmm. Um, those are also the tools of learning and the tools of intelligence. Mm-hmm. So when I'm teaching students, I know that I'm giving them tools that are going to be useful to them in other parts of their life. Because mm-hmm. sometimes the direct line attempt to solve a problem is not the right way to do it, but sometimes a good S curve can wind you up just the way you need to, to land where you want to land. Yeah. And you only get there by opening up that creative side. Yeah. You can never underestimate, and now I'm switching to, you know, the, the job, you know, my, the day. You can never underestimate the power of communication mm-hmm. and how abstract communication can be. Yeah. And we all need to talk to one another. This is getting back to us connecting with one another. Whether you're trying to find your mate whether you're trying to go for a job interview or whether you're, you're the employer communicating with your employee. You, there, there are abstract, um, non... Uh, what am I trying to say? Um, there are ways of communication. There are ways that you have to open yourself up to allow yourself to communicate in a way that, that others can't or to, or to get your point across. I mean, some of the people who are the closest in my life are people who really, who are just open mm-hmm. within themselves. Like there's a lawyer that I work with, and she's been around for 30 years or whatever, and she's very, very open about herself. I mean, she'll tell me about some of the, the tragic things that are going on in her life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't weigh me down. It tells me she's comfortable enough to to open herself up to me. Mm-hmm. And I respect that in turn by, you know, by acknowledging it. by right. saying, hey, you know, thank you for telling me that and, and all that stuff. And it never gets in the way of work, but right. but but it's clear that we have a bond, and we look for that. We look for that in the theater. We look for that, you right. know. And so, getting into people may say, "Well, I don't need art. I don't need to create or do anything." Mm-hmm. But 
I think art allows you to open up, and if you're not open up, it can affect other parts of your life. Yeah. You know, there are individuals who are like, wow, my wife left me. Why did that happen? Right. How good of a communicator are you? Right. Or my employees don't understand me, or, you know, my boss, I don't understand. I, I can't connect with everyone else. And, oh, well, it doesn't affect my job. Well, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No, I, I, I think everybody has a way of expressing. Mm-hmm. And how much how much they want to identify that as art mm-hmm. or, or follow that farther into art, it's still finding that way to express. And everybody's trying to find the best way mm-hmm. to express what you're feeling, what you're thinking, yeah. to get other people to understand you, to relate to what's going on. Right. Uh, art is that fantastic way, and I really do. I would love, I would love before I die, to see that society that embraces that everybody has that, mm-hmm. that artistic impulse, everybody has that in them, and that we're allowing people in there to get comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the places I was at this week is going to have an open house, uh, Richmond Arts Center. Okay. It's going to have an open house. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how cool, because these people come in there from their lives mm-hmm. and have what, from one perspective, is probably a very private moment with mm-hmm. you know, maybe a dozen other folks yeah. in this little room and they do their thing. Mm-hmm. To have that day where you say, this is the day we're going to open the doors up and bring our world in. I think it's fantastic. That's why when we do a play, yeah. I love that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, there's a group of players, mm-hmm. and they put on a show for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern who leave. Mm-hmm. And then bump into them again later, and the player, the leader, goes to them and says, we were in the middle of, you know, somebody was in the middle of this big monologue, and we were all on stage, and we started looking around, and we thought, maybe we're hiding behind the bushes. Mm-hmm. And after a while, we became uncomfortable with the idea that we were doing this for no one, mm. which is the worst hell yeah. for them. And I was like, theater artists will totally understand what that is and what that means. We don't do it just to have that feeling. We don't do it just to go through the story. We mm-hmm. do it to make that relationship, to make that connection. Yeah. I, I just I was just thinking about um, our good friend, Jeannie Barago. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I Barago, yeah. She wrote a play that, that um, I was part of a reading, uh, Aurora. Did you know yes. Aurora? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And because um, you were talking about how you had played the father of, of an artist. And um, and I had played the father of a uh, child who died, was, was killed. Yeah. Um, this, this is a play about the actual Aurora shootings that happened in Aurora, Colorado uh, by... I think they were watching The Dark Knight and some guy, you know, in green hair, and it was really a tragic situation. And so Jeannie had written, um, a wonderful Filipino um, uh, playwright, had written a play about it. And so... Well, I'm actually using it as a backdrop Mm -hmm. um, about a family who's going through this young lady's death, the the trial for this young lady's death, which is not part of the Aurora shooting. Mm -hmm. It's a totally separate thing, but because it's happening at the same time, it's getting swept up. You know what? You're absolutely right. Yeah. That's right. She wasn't a victim. It's really because it's therefore commenting on right. the Aurora shooting. Right. But it's That's right. I'm remembering now because it, 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 it was a couple of years ago, but yeah, so I'm, uh, we're basically watching TV and the Aurora shootings brings up the, the horrible memories. Right. And we're in the middle of trial. Right. That's what it is. We're in the middle of trial 
where we as parents have to watch the defendant, um, you know, go through um, the rigmarole and we have to testify and all of that stuff. Right. And I realize my role as an actor, not only as the character, but our collective role was to help, you know, the audience understand or connect to yeah, this, to make this, this spirit, yeah, to make it human. And to help the audience, um, if they had to go through that, say, hey, listen, if you don't want to cry, you know, we'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. We'll provide, you know, the, the emotion for you. And that's, that's one of the powers of art. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we should start to wrap up. Um, yeah. I did want to mention mm-hmm. a couple places that I Absolutely. went to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Ubuntu Theater, which is here in Oakland. Ubuntu, yeah. Um, I did that. The salesman looked in the about a play called To the Bone uh-huh. by Lisa Ramirez. Cool. And it's about um, immigrant women mm-hmm. working and the conditions that they work under. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's um, it's a gorgeous play. They use the space so well, and they've got these um, very powerful women on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of men who are in it too, but the men don't get you know. It really focuses on the women. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a wonderful play. And then ironically, the other play um, is called The Bonding, and it's an altar theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one I think is in Madera. It's over near uh, San Rafael, um, and it's set in slave times, but it's um, a term I hadn't heard before. Backroom surrealism. Wow. we got to talk about that. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, the playwright is, and apparently she's done some other stuff with Campos Santos, maybe yeah. a star. I can't remember the last thing. Um, I should, I will make sure in the future that I bring yeah. stuff so that I actually know what I'm talking about. But um, it's set in a... Slave setting mm-hmm. uh, in a household, white yeah. household, yeah. young girl mm-hmm. who has grown up with this young black girl mm-hmm. who is having trouble with um, with the situation. They're okay. both having trouble. Okay. The white girl is having trouble understanding why things have to be different between them. Okay. And she's finding the fact of her friend's slavery an annoyance mm-hmm. because she just wants to be able to play. And the black girl has trouble seeing how it, there should be any difference between them. Um, so there's a wonderful energy yeah. there. How old are the characters? Uh, they are written as 13. Okay. But they're played by young women. Sure, sure. And that's actually one of the things in the play that left me kind of going, hmm, I wonder, I don't know that you want to put a 13-year-old, because it gets to, it goes to sure, some places. Sure, sure. So I don't know that you want to put 13-year-olds through that. Yeah. But there's a difference between watching a young woman mm-hmm. have this experience versus watching a, you know, a teenager. Yeah. Um, so, but still, it's, it's a fascinating piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, it's a tiny space, so you really feel like you are in the room mm-hmm. as this is all going on. Wonderfully creepy. It's mm-hmm. got a beautiful use of language. It's fantastic. Good stuff. So, a good friend of mine, um, Beth Chastain, is doing Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Oh, the all female version. The all female version at the uh, the B8 Theater. And I mentioned uh, Beth because she plays uh, Ricky Roma, the uh, that prized um, that prized role, um, directed by Carrie Good Johnson. Uh, the B8 Theater Company. Is in Concord. I'm trying to find an address, but uh, well, you can you can look it up. You can uh, hit it off the uh, get it on the internet. Um, B8 Theater Company. 
And with that, let's wrap it up. We, we've got it. Let's call it a day. So um, we'll be, uh, I think, every either every Friday or every Saturday, and then I'll um, do some post-production and then throw it up on the Internet. And we're on, uh, I forgot to mention, we're on iTunes. So right. if you have if you have an iPhone, I'm sure at least half of you have, have an iPhone, right. you can just pull up your podcast app, either look up Norman G or Reg Clay or the uh, the yay and you'll you'll find us it's absolutely thrilling so it's fantastic and let us know what you think give us some constructive criticism oh, yeah no we definitely would love feedback and you know if there are things that don't work clear yeah tell us what you like and what you don't like and with that we'll shut it down have a wonderful um, Easter holiday um, weekend everybody and that's it you